0: So, as Dave says, this is the third in our Credo series, and I'd like us to begin with a a very ancient prayer. This is from Basil of Caesarea, and uh, he first wrote this prayer in 372 AD. Uh, It's quite short, so uh, pray along with me, but uh, you might need to concentrate, and uh, the word doxology just means worship. So, let's pray. May the good teaching of our fathers who met at Nicaea shine forth again, so that doxology may be duly offered to the blessed Trinity. Amen. So, uh, we are looking together at the Nicene uh, Creed, and um, this is, as, as you'll have picked up from previous sessions uh, a statement of Christian faith that goes back to the year 325 AD when the emperor got the church leaders together in a place called Nicaea and they worked out uh, what do we believe and how can we sum it up. This is something that all Christians everywhere agree on, okay? We, if, if you're a Christian, you subscribe to the Nicene Creed. This is our statement of faith as a church. So just before Christmas, the Greg family went uh, to a bowling alley. And uh, I, I went up to the counter and we had to sort of book our, um, uh, you know, lane. And you have to give the names, don't you, of everyone who's going to bowl so that they can come up on the screen. You put the old joke name in, of course. And, um, and then they ask you for each person, now, do you want the bumpers up uh, for that? And I, I sort of, you know, have... have, have um, developed this slight sort of um male ego issue i suppose over the years so when they said do i want the bumpers i said it was ridiculous no bumpers whereas daniel very sensibly said yes please i'd like the bumpers up because the bumpers if you're not familiar the the little fences that mean that you can roll the ball and it doesn't go into the gutter and you hit the skittles which is kind of the aim of the thing sammy uh being a woman and uh, therefore not so like, messed up as men and a little more secure. I said, sure, I want the bumpers up. Who wouldn't want the bumpers up? Uh, whereas Hudson and I said, no, no, no bumpers for us. Thank you very much. And you need to understand that in my head, I am absolutely brilliant at bowling. Uh, it, what could be more complicated than rolling a ball on a completely flat surface in a straight line? Well, how, could that, how can that even be a sport? And, uh, and so, um, in my head, I go up to that line and the ball doesn't roll. No, no, it glides uh, in a slight curve down that alleyway and it takes out those skittles. They don't just fall over, they shatter. There's actually shrapnel every time. This is what happens in my head. The reality seems to be disconcertingly different from that. Uh, for starters, I almost I back out every time I roll the ball. And it it, it seems to end up in the gutter quite a lot. I often get the um, not-flat alleys. And and as a result of this unfortunate scenario, what happened as we continued with the family bowling expedition is that Daniel's and Sammy's scores were elevated above Hudson's and mine. And I I repeatedly reminded them it was purely because they had the bumpers up. We were doing the real uh, thing. What I didn't admit to them but I did quietly notice is towards the end sometimes they rolled the ball and it didn't even hit the bumpers and they were still getting those skittles over. The Nicene Creed is a lot like the bumpers at a bowling alley. It helps us with helpful parameters to aim straight and to stay on track. And as we absorb the frameworks of Christian faith, not just vaguely believing what we happen to feel is true that particular morning, there may even come the time we don't have to recite it or memorize it, but we just naturally operate within its creedal parameters. David Bowie. Everyone's talking about David Bowie. Well, one of his final interviews, fascinating, he said this, on a personal level, I have an undying belief in God's existence. For me, it is unquestionable. Looking at what I have done in my life in retrospect, so much of what I thought was adventurism was searching for my tenuous connection with God. All that artistry, innovation, fashion, edgy music, moving with the times, technology, all of that stuff right on the edge of creativity. He says, if you really want to get to the heart of it, the experimentalism, The adventurism, it was me trying to get hold of my tenuous connection with God. And the very final tweet, as you may know, from his wife, Imam, before he died, was this, the struggle is real, but so is God. We're all looking for God, for meaning, for hope. We hope against hope that this life does mean something more than nothing, that there is morality, that there is purpose, that we're not just some cosmic accident. The vast majority of people who've ever lived have believed in God, it's still true to this day. Even just Christian faith, people subscribing to the Nicene Creed, there's two billion of us today meeting uh, in different venues from palaces to mud huts, some persecuted for what they uh, believe. We're all looking for God. But the great question is, what is that God like? And the Nicene Creed comes and gives us some frameworks. Not just what your eye might think up in the privacy of our own world, but these are things that have been thought about for thousands of years by billions of people, based in the Scriptures, the Hebrew and Christian Scriptures. And so they say, first of all, uh, we believe in God, the Father Almighty, and I spoke two weeks ago about God, not just as this distant, uncaring entity, but as a loving almighty Father and then it goes on, we believe in the lord jesus Christ, and last week, Hannah uh, Heather spoke phenomenally about uh, that, about the Lordship of Jesus, the greatness, the divinity of Christ, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. Wow, this vast vision of Jesus as God. And she talked about that just the sheer magnitude of the galaxies and, and, and how all things were made by him. And she said, this is not someone you hire as a secretary or a consultant. You bow the knee in his presence. But now in the second part of this bit of the creed that talks about Jesus, we move from focusing on his divinity to focusing on his humanity. So take a look at this. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. And for our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. These lines are pounding home again and again the humanity of Jesus, He came down from heaven, incarnate from the Virgin Mary, was made man, crucified. He died, but not just even any death. He died the death of the scum of the earth, crucifixion. He suffered death and buried. They're almost laboring the point to say this, this Christ who is divine and in whom all things were made was also fully human. That word there, for incarnated, it comes from the ancient Greek carne, C-A-R-N-E, and it literally just means meat or flesh. That's why you have a chili con carne. <laughs> it's meat. That's why we talk about carnal desire, fleshly desire, carnival. It's flesh, meat. And so we are being told that he just became like us with veins and muscles and ligaments and neural pathways. We're told he entered the womb of the Virgin Mary. The great poet Gerard Manley Hopkins described that as infinity dwindled to infancy. We might talk about it as omnipotence reduced to incontinence. The God who made everything... Not even able to control his own bowel movements. The name above every other name rumored to be illegitimate. The word of God, not able to speak anymore, just squawking like a baby. And when eventually he learns to speak, it's with a thick regional accent. The creator of the universe who flung stars into space, learning to make tables. And presumably making them pretty badly at first. This is the kind of mystery that is being celebrated in these words. The humanity of Jesus, just like us in every way. John chapter 1 verse 14 says this. The word became flesh, carne, and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory. One theologian says this is possibly the greatest single verse in the New Testament and certainly the sentence for which John wrote his gospel, this this one sentence, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. Now, part of what's going on here, as you may have picked up, is that they were formulating the creed because with the vast explosion of Christianity... Um, all sorts of wacky ideas were also inevitably bubbling up, surfacing, and some of them were quite dangerous and destructive ideas. Ideas matter. What you think is what you become. And uh, so, you know, um, last week, uh, as, as, as we focused on that bit of the creed that declares the divinity of Christ, we thought about how they were re- addressing a, a, a heresy called Arianism. And Arianism. Uh, was basically the idea that Christ was a really top bloke, but he wasn't God, okay? He was, he was a prophet, he was like seriously uh, someone worthy of enormous honor, but he was not God. And so they're going wrong, light from light, God from God, and him all things are made. But this clause is addressing a heresy called docetism. Now, that that, uh, word comes from the Greek um, dokein, and it literally means to seem. They also used it for phantoms and ghosts. Docetism was the idea that when God came as Jesus, he was only seeming to be human. He wasn't really, he was just pretending. He didn't really hurt when he hit his thumb with a hammer. He was it, the best way of understanding docetism is uh, Superman and Clark Kent. Okay, uh, Those of you who the only thing you've got out this talk so far is chili con carne, here's your next bit. Okay, uh, uh, Docentism is, is Superman. Uh, so the deal with Superman is this. The reason that, that he's a bit of a rubbish superhero, in my humble opinion... Uh, is this, that basically, even when he's Clark Kent with the old spectacles on and his suit, he's still Superman. He can still, like, hear things no one else can hear, and, like, oh, my goodness, I'm typing this article, and I can see a child being abducted down there, so what I need to do is change into blue lycra. Hello? I mean... (laughs) Someone needs to get a serious shrink onto Superman. But, uh, you know, he he was just pretending. He's just wearing different clothes, but Superman all the time. And they say, oh, Jesus was just God. He's just wearing some skin for a while. Christian belief, sound Christian doctrine is this, and it is a paradox, that Jesus Christ was fully human, like you and me, and fully God, both and. And so we have here the, the, the beginnings of our understanding of God as trinity. Now this is right at the heart of the Christian faith, the God that we worship. You've seen it again and again, the lyrics we've been singing earlier. That, that, that God is one. We don't believe in, uh, we're not polytheists. God is one, is one God. But that there are three persons. And uh, so... Clearly, we've got God the Father, we've got Jesus Christ, who is, his divinity has been described here, and we uh, also in the creed here have the reference already to the Holy Spirit, through whom He is born. We need to understand with the Trinity that this was not some neat, clever philosophical idea that these theologians came up with; they then kind of try to work out practically. Like all good theology, it was the reality of encounter and experience trying to be rationalized and formulated. They had experienced something they now need to make sense of. And what they'd experienced, was think about them, the disciples. They're the, the, the good God-fearing Jews. They believe in God the Father, right? And, and, then, and then they start to hang out with this rabbi, Jesus, and hang on, things are getting out of control here because he, he's making claims for himself that he isn't just a rabbi, but that he is God. And he's doing miracles we've never seen before. And and, and then there comes the moment where Peter goes, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus goes, keep it quiet. But yes. And then, of course, he rises from the dead and they go, holy cow. No, that's the wrong religion. <laughs> <laughs> they go... We've been hanging out with God in human form. C.S. Lewis says, by definition, there had to be at least two gods. Now, bear with me. Don't write letters of complaint. This is C.S. Lewis. Write them to him, not me. Uh, he says, by, by philo- philosophically, if God is love, before he created everything, if he wasn't plural, if he was just one in that sense, who was he loving? Is he just eternally isolated and self-absorbed? But if we believe that God is plural within his unity, then he can be inherently self-giving. He is family. He is community. I want to be absolutely clear, and sadly we can't do the whole talk on the Trinity. We could spend uh, years just talking about this, but uh, we, just, we have to do this right at the start, uh, obviously, of the, the creed, really uh, think about the Trinity. Uh, Let me say this very clearly, the the Trinity is not this embarrassing secret, this kind of like mathematical formula that doesn't quite add up at the heart of Christianity. It is the opposite. The Trinity is the jewel in Christian faith. It is the joy, the triumph, the glory, the wonder of Christian faith. Uh, One great writer, Michael Reeves, says, it is only when you grasp what it means for God to be a Trinity that you really sense the beauty the overflowing kindness, the heart-grabbing loveliness of God. The humanity of Jesus means that he is like us. Wow. He hungered, hurt, and grieved as we do. He struggled with temptation like us. He felt lonely, like us. He got insecure, like us. He felt inadequate and desperate, like us. The heart of the Christian faith says that God is Emmanuel, God with us. He gets what you go through. He understands whatever you are experiencing right now in your life. You are not alone. You are not isolated. You are not misunderstood. If you're wrestling with temptation, as we all do, Jesus knows how that feels. If you're anxious... If you are broken-hearted, if you are feeling misunderstood, if you're exhausted, the God of the universe knows what that is like. When um, Sammy was very sick, and I talk, she and I talk about this very openly, if you come to Emmaus regularly you'll know this, so this is not, you know, this shocking moment for us to talk openly. This. But when Sammy was very, very sick, when our kids were very little and she had a, a brain tumor, and it was the most frightening time of our lives, and for a long time we didn't know if she'd survive. And um, I had people, really kind, loving, well-meaning people, say to me, Pete, we understand what you're going through. We get it. And the absolute truth is that whilst they were being kind, they didn't. Understand what I was going through. In fact, even Sammy didn't understand what I was going through. And I couldn't fully understand what Sammy was going through. But you see, I've got this friend called Alan Emerson who runs 24-7 Prayer in Ireland. He's a really cool dude. Um he's got, you know, semi-professional football player. Six-pack. He's very like me in, in many ways. And <laughs> bowls with the bumpers down, oh yeah, (laughs) and um, shatters those pins. And um, the thing is, Alan fell in love with a a beautiful girl called Lindsay, and she got a, a brain tumor in their first year of marriage and died in spite of many prayers before her first anniversary. He had to journey through that. And when Alan looks me in the eyes and says, I, I get it. I understand. I know he doesn't just understand. He went through far worse than me. This is the message of God being with us and like us. He does understand. Whatever you are feeling, whatever you're going through, he has experienced because he is fully human. God is not absent, distant, unconcerned. He is with us, like us, and for us. And and that phrase, I think, is the key to this part of the creed, for us, for us. As I've been praying and preparing this talk, the thing I've been saying to God again and again is, God, I just want to get inside people's heads and inside their rib cages and 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 say to them, God is for you. I don't really care if they go away understanding the Trinity or obsessed with chili con carne. What I'm worried about is, I want people to leave knowing God is for me. He is big. He's powerful. He's a creator, but He is for me. For us, it says, and for our salvation, for our sake. Imagine it. You've got all these big bearded, terribly important bishops and archbishops gathering in Nicaea to come up with a Nicene Creed with the emperor hanging out. How do you, how'd you take your tea, emperor? You know, it's, it's all of that. And they're the biggest brains around, like philosophers, very important speak 300 languages, you know, and what. that. And, 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 and they've come up with this great creed, we believe in God, the Father, the Almighty, the Maker, and all this. And then suddenly they get to this line, and it becomes almost childishly simple. For us. For you. For me. All this. He gave up all this for us. Do you hear how deeply personal this becomes? I got this um, amazing email from my stepbrother, Philip. Two days ago. The most extraordinary story that shows us how God is with us and for us. Um, the background is this Philip works in banking in London and sales, and um, he's got quite a difficult boss. <laughs> and uh, his boss had sat him down and said, Right, we need to talk about your sales targets for the year. Um, you're not doing particularly well, and by the end of this year, by th- their financial year runs 31st December. What do you think you should set as a target for yourself? And Philip thought, I want to impress my boss. I'm going to come up with the absolute top that I could imagine achieving. And this is going to involve a, f- a phenomenal uplift in business. And he said, okay, um, 250,000 pounds. This is you know, most he could imagine um, making for the business by the end of December last year. The boss... Um, then swore at him, a very rude word, got really angry and said, That is not nearly enough. We all know it can be quite tough out there. And the boss said to him, 260, 270, 280. You should not be aiming at anything less than that. And then he said, In fact, let's make your target 300,000. Philip left that meeting so discouraged, so intimidated quite seriously considering throwing in the towel at work and went off last summer to a camp a bit like Focus where someone stood up at the front like this and they said, I've got the weirdest prophecy, the weirdest word from God. I don't know what it means, but I'm just hearing this phrase, 260, 270, 280. Does that mean anything to anyone here? And so Philip said, yeah, that means everything to me right now. And so they prayed together, he and this guy, And they prayed that he would make his 300,000-pound target, even though it seemed impossible. And then they prayed, in fact, Lord, just to prove something to the boss, may he outstrip that target. This is what Philip writes. I went back to the office the following week, and when asked in our weekly sales meeting about my target, I told the team and my boss that God has told me (laughs) we will hit our 300,000-pound target. Well, they quite literally fell about laughing, and have been ever since. But I stuck to my guns, and every time I was challenged on hitting the target, I just kept saying to my boss and my administrator, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. (laughs) Well, that seemed to stir quite a hornet's nest. God's name was openly mocked in our office. I was ridiculed for having an imaginary friend, lacking in planning and destroying the business. My boss even said he was going to worship Baal at Christmas. I still had daily doubts, fears, and unbelief in my heart whether God could really do it. Often I would hear myself saying, God, there are only 12 working weeks, now 10, now 8, now 4, before our year ends, so could you please give me some business as this is getting too close to call. Daily, I had to rebuke this voice, repent, and listen to the voice of God saying to me, rely on me, I've got this one. I started praying, fasting, and committing myself to the word of God daily, not occasionally or when it felt right. This sounds basic, 101 Christianity, I know, but it is amazing how one can do Christianity without really changing your thoughts or actions. By the end of November, uh, he was nowhere near his target. And he was starting to wonder whether God was going to let him down, even though he had really stuck his neck out. And then in uh, the last three weeks of last year, business just absolutely exploded. They couldn't understand why. And so by the 23rd of December, he had met his 300,000-pound target. And by the 31st of December, just, what, three weeks ago, He had achieved 318,500 pounds. And he said that was equivalent to having, I can't remember, it was something like six months of business in three weeks out of nowhere. And he uh, writes this. He says, on reflection, these last five months have been uh, about more than hitting a sales target. It's been about my relationship with God and reconnecting with my best friend. It's been Some of the toughest months of employment that I have had. There is no doubt that without God, I would not have made it. I still can't get my head around the fact. Now, listen to this. The God who made the universe is interested in my sales target. This is a creedal moment. I'm not sure he realizes it, but it is. That the God who made the universe cares about your sales target. The God who flung stars into space, understands your pressures at work. He understands what an Ofsted inspection is like. He understands you're worried about your car's M.O.T. He understands that you've got that ache in your left shoulder. He understands the pressure of that essay deadline. He understands the stress of trying to get your kids to do their homework. This is the God whose divinity is expressed in full humanity, like us, with us, and for us in every way. C.S. Lewis captures this beautifully in the first of his Narnia Chronicles. He describes a, a boy in the magician's nephew called Diggory, you may have read the story, whose mum is dying of cancer, and Diggory uh, finds himself standing in front of Aslan, who of course represents God. And uh, just, just to put some context on this, you need to understand, okay, uh, C.S. Lewis's own mum died when C.S. Lewis was, was a boy. So this is deeply painful and autobiographical for him to write. And he says this. Diggory thought of his mother, and he thought of the great hopes he had and how they were all dying away, and a lump came in his throat and tears in his eyes, and he blurted out, but please, please, won't you, can't you give me something that will cure mother? And up till then, he had been looking at the lion's great feet, and the huge claws on them, but now, in despair, he looked up at its face. And what he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life, for the tawny face was bent down near his own, and wonder of wonders, great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big, bright tears compared with Diggory's own that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. The exalted Christ, the Lion of Judah, the one who flung stars into space, cares about you. He understands what you are going through. He is for you. He is for your salvation. But he loves you too much to leave you as you are. He is on your side. He has the power to set you free, to save you, to break addictions. There are only two people who are named in the Nicene Creed. One, of course, is Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the other is Pilate, who crucified Jesus. One is honored, one is condemned. Pilate was at the top of his game. Humanly speaking, he had reached the pinnacle. He was wealthy He was powerful. He had status. Why did he wash his hands over Jesus' death? Because he was approaching retirement and he wanted to protect his legacy. Our papers are full of this right now. (laughs) The irony that in that moment of trying to protect his legacy, he destroyed it for all time. Some people have even suggested that maybe the dream that Pilate's wife had, warning him, not to wash his hands of this, might have been the prayers of billions of Christians down thousands of years, reciting the Nicene Creed, naming him as the guy who crucified Christ. Somehow, maybe those, the, those statements of faith have traveled back, and somehow she's picking up in the spirit and going, you're about to make a big mistake. So careful about his reputation that he messed it up for all time. And then Mary Abandoning her reputation. I'm a teenage girl about to get pregnant. Hello? One is indifferent. The other is abandoned. They both say whatever, but Pilate says it like this, whatever. It's cynical. And Mary says it like this, whatever. In their different choices, eternities were shaped. That is the power of our choices in response to this God of the universe who is for us and with us and for our salvation. Will you respond like Pilate? Whatever. (laughs) Prove yourself. Or will you respond like Mary? Whatever you've got, I want it. I don't care about my reputation. I don't care how it's going to look. I don't understand how it's going to work. But if you're saying this to me, I'm up for it, God. What ever. Maybe you're not sure about Christianity. And as we go through this series, we're helping to just lay out, this is what Christians believe. Or maybe you're a new Christian trying to get your head around the faith. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while and this series is just going to help you a little bit more to understand why you believe what you believe, and have a little more confidence in sharing your faith with others. The thing I want you to take from today is that the God of the universe became human. He is like us, and he is for you in every way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you truly understand my struggles thank you that you gave up everything for me that you came to earth you left heaven for me that you endured so much suffering for me that you died on that cross for me thank you that you are here for me now by your spirit that you are for me and you are for my salvation And I ask you, Lord, that you'd save me a bit more today from the things that are pulling me down. Amen.